Uh, sorry, Matthew uh, chapter 1, 18 to Matthew 2. But the words will be on the screen. Do follow it um, if you are able. Thank you so much. And it feels a bit Christmassy. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Going from Matthew 2, 2 now. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I'm going from 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. From 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, who was afraid to go there, having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said about the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. Why don't we pray? Lord, we want to thank you for James and Sarah this morning. And we pray, Jesus, that your spirit would be upon them. Lord, I want to pray that they just really love and enjoy sharing what you've given them to um, speak about this morning. So God, for all of us here this morning, I pray, Jesus, that by your spirit, You'd really help us to engage our brains and help us to engage our hearts for what you have to say to each of us personally and as a church family together this morning. Amen. Let's give James and Sarah a hand, everybody. Good morning, everyone. Um, as we've prepared to share today, we've reflected on the challenges on our life stage and the difference faith in Jesus makes. And while we, what we may share may particularly resonate to those in a similar phase of life, it's our hope and prayer that through the areas we've chosen to focus on, God will encourage and equip you whatever your current experience and phase of life. And we've chosen to reflect on the lives of Joseph and Mary alongside some of 
sharing some of our sh challenges and experience. And the brief for today was to, to share where we're at in our stage of life and to relate that to a character from the Bible. And we really struggled, actually, to identify a character of the, from the Bible where he actually talks about their lives with their young children. Uh, and uh, most people that we view, they've kind of gone through that phase and we're meeting them at a later stage of life where there's very little said about their, their life with their children. And, and so with reluctance, because I don't want to be called Mr. Christmas, um, we, we actually felt that Mary and Joseph and looking at their, their lives was actually a helpful thing to do. And in choosing to explore Joseph and Mary's life, we want to look beyond the familiar narrative of Jesus' birth and consider their family life and their priorities. So um, where are we at in our stage of life? Some of you know us well. We uh, go to the Bourneville uh, congregation up that's part of Riverside. Uh, so some of you will know us and some of you won't. Um, but uh, we're at a stage of life that really involves an awful lot to do with small children. Uh, we have four children. Uh, our eldest is six, and we have triplets who are four um, years old and about to go to school. Um, <laughs> so I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I've been part of Riverside um, since I was a medical student. I came at the age of 18. I am now uh, just uh, 41 in the last six months and still struggling with being in my 40s. Um, but, uh, so I'm a parent, I'm married to Sarah, uh, and I'm also a, a GP uh, working in West Bromwich. Um, I have a fairly similar background, came up to Birmingham to university, joined Riverside in my first year and uh, never left. I was part of this congregation for the best part of 20 years. Um, knew James for university for several years before we got together and got married and uh, before we were obviously blessed with these bundles of joy. Um, I'm a solicitor, I work for a, a law firm in the city centre, I do that three days a week for my own sanity. <laughs> And you can see a picture of what it was like with the triplets when they were young, um, very calm. They're just uh, bigger and louder now. It's not much has changed. So coming to Mary and, and Joseph, what do we know uh, about them? Um, taking Mary first, we obviously are very familiar with her as a Bible character, and she did have a unique and significant part to play in God's plan as a witness to the incarnation of God. But there's no evidence in the Gospels that she was perfect. She was not this archetypical mother and Christian. She was probably around 14 years old, so we're stretching the age here, the, the relevance, um, when she was betrothed to Joseph, and she was a virgin at the time that she, was, she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And in addition to the Gospel narratives concerning Jesus' birth and childhood, we know that she um, led a probably a fairly normal family life up to the point that his ministry started. She went with him to the wedding in Cain, or he might have gone with her, she might have been the one invited. Um, and later on, she followed and supported his ministry, coming with his brothers to ask for him when he visited Nazareth, and being present at the crucifixion, and also afterwards with the disciples at Pentecost. So what do we know about Joseph? Well, we know that Joseph is descended from Abraham and David. He's the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Joseph acts as the father of Jesus. He is described as Jesus' father by others and also by Mary. She describes himself as his parents. Um, uh, we also know that Joseph's trade was that of a carpenter. But as Joseph is not mentioned by the time of Jesus' public ministry, it's likely that he had died uh, by that time. So. When I sat next to Sarah for her ultrasound scan for our second pregnancy, I did not realise quite how much was about to change. Um, my concern at the time was to know whether things were okay with the pregnancy, uh, and 
when the person told, doing the scan told us initially that we were having twins, Actually, I, in my head, I thought, twins, yeah, I can do that. Uh, and then shortly after, she said, actually, I'm sorry, um, it's actually triplets. Um, I knew at that point that whatever happened, the best or worst of outcomes, that life was going to change. In a very different way, Joseph is presented with a situation over which he had no control and which he had not sought when, Jesus, when Mary was found to be pregnant. There are seasons or phases of life which we haven't act active role in ushering in. For example, choosing to marry, a change of work circumstances, moving home, leaving home. But there are other seasons which come uninvited. For example, through the actions of others, illness or bereavement. Joseph found himself in a situation he would not have chosen. Father to a child he did not father, betrothed to a woman already pregnant. As God reveals himself in this new season, Joseph chooses to obey and trust. From the moment we heard that we were expecting triplets, we were thrust into a new, unexpected, more complex and uncertain season of our lives. For me, adapting to this season and accepting this season has been really challenging. Uh, in my 20s, I often said, and some of you will know this, that I did not want to marry or have children. Uh, and Affirming, yet, um, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and yet here I am. Uh, to come to a place of accepting the season or phase of life we're in is to express trust in God that whatever is happening, God knows about and God is with us. It doesn't mean that we don't ask why, that we don't wrestle with God or with the challenges of our situation, but we can do so ultimately from a place of trust that God is good. In practice, for me, this means an active decision to not cling to where I was previously or wish the time away. It's tempting to wish that the kids were older and would listen more easily, but as I continue to discover, to embrace the chaos of this stage of life is to experience the joy of it too. Some of you uh, may recall that prior to having children, uh, and particularly the triplets, I travelled frequently, uh, working with medical students and doctors across Europe and the countries of the Soviet Union. Letting go of serving God in, that way, in the way I previously had the freedom to do has involved working through a real sense of loss, actually. It's something I have really struggled with. Perhaps more than the presence of the triplets, it's been the loss of that sense of what I was able to do previously. But as I work through that, I, to get to a I've been able to get to a place of a greater acceptance. It doesn't mean I don't still struggle with it at times. I do. But actually, sometimes we need to recognise that there is a real sense of loss sometimes as we go into a new, an, into a new season of life. And it's important, I think, to be honest with ourselves and with others about that. As we face the prospect of three small children at home, I feared that we'd never get out of the house, that we'd be socially cut off, that we would struggle to cope. The reality was that the limitation of our circumstances opened up new opportunities. From neighbours visiting us at home to help with our chaos in the first year of the triplets and having really significant conversations as they helped with our kids and just cuddled them, to sharing the joys and struggles of our journey with both Christian and not yet Christian friends and family members. Each season and phase of life will have its challenges and its opportunities. As we're mindful of Jesus' words in Matthew 28, 20, where he says, I am with you always to the very end of the age, we learn to look for God at work in each season and circumstance of our lives. Well, the question is popularised by those wonderful wrist bracelets, WWJD, what would Jesus do? 
can help us consider how we may act and behave, I find the alternative question, W-I-G-D, what is God doing, much more helpful and much more revealing because it starts with an assumption that God is present and he's involved and he is doing something. So what is he doing? Asking what God is doing in our phases and seasons of life causes us to look to God, to seek his revelation and his ways. Faced with the dramatic change in his fiancée's circumstances, Joseph's initial plan was to divorce Mary quietly, a course of action which came from his desire to be faithful to God's law and to do the right thing. It's only when in a dream that an angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph in his circumstances and reveals what is going on that Joseph changes his intended course of action. For Joseph, it is the revelation of God in this new season of life which gave the courage and confidence to move forward. Adapting to the season of life we're in is not just to see the opportunities we have, but to create them. For example, I'm conscious that outside of work, colleagues, the opportunity to build new, friendship, new friendships are limited as we go through our 30s and into our 40s. The school drop-off, connecting with neighbours through being involved with building community on our road through initiatives like the Big Lunch, have really given opportunities for new connections and new friendships. Hosting a community group has ensured we are involved as a family in helping to develop and build relationships. As we consider Joseph and Mary, we see that they knew the law. They were committed to the community of faith. For example, they kept the purification rites eight days after Jesus' birth. They attended the temple and they went to the festival of Passover annually. Across the biblical accounts, God also reveals his purposes for them in a number of ways. For example, through angels and dreams, but through family members, through wise men, through prophets. Although I didn't realize it at the time, at, as a student at university, the time I had available for reading was much greater than in our present season of life. What worked for me then in growing my work with God, I find very difficult to do now. Key to making our walk with God work and to making it one where we are growing and thriving is understanding the nature of the present season of our lives. Knowing ourselves and practicing the spiritual disciplines, particularly of prayer, Bible reading and fellowship is really key. For us, uh, in the day-to-day -day melee of our current lives, we've been really helped by the example of Brother Lawrence, who was the author of The Practice of the Presence of God who, while cleaning pots and pans in the monastery kitchen in the 1600s, cultivated an awareness of God's presence by continually conversing with him and focusing on God's love for him. My turn. <clears throat> for me, in this stage of life, um, I find myself to have become quite a fearful person in my late teens, early twenties, I thought I was full of faith. I had trust. I could cope with whatever God thrust at me. Um, but as I get older, as I've moved from my twenties into my thirties, and now e only just, I hasten to add, into my forties, one week, um, I've become more aware of the complexity, the risks, the frailty of life. I have more to lose. We often, at this life stage, take on greater responsibilities. We might have a partner, children, homes, mortgages, jobs with increased role and expectations. With more responsibility for me has come more worry. 
What if something happens to me? What if something happens to James? What if something happens to the children, our jobs, our finances? We see that Mary and Joseph were not immune to worry. We know from the story of them losing Jesus at the temple that they were anxiously looking for him. And I find it quite comforting that even the Blessed Mary was given to scolding her child for running off when he hadn't told her where he was going. (laughs) In this stage, there are just more facets to life. It feels more chaotic. It feels out of control at points. And therefore, it feels as if there's more that could potentially go wrong. My natural inclination is to, uh, towards the what-ifs and to imagine the worst. This was never more obvious to us than when we were expecting the triplets, when, of course, we were faced immediately with this raft of additional risks and highly medicalised pregnancy. But, of course, in that situation and in my day-to-day worries, my perspective is all wrong. Mary's reaction to the news of her baby and the responsibility that she carried was one of real trust. She must have been scared. She was young, younger than I am, certainly. Um, And what was being asked of her was a huge deal. And it's no coincidence that some of the angels' first words to Mary and to Joseph were, do not be afraid. However, in preparing for today, I've been struck afresh by her response, that of fixing her eyes on Jesus. Her decision, her reaction was to glorify him, to consider and remember all his works and to lift her eyes to the mighty one. She knew... She took what she knew, mainly from the Hebrew scriptures probably, as well as her own experience, and applied it to her situation. It was a reaction based upon what she knew, not on what she felt, which was probably extremely (coughs) overwhelmed. And all the time, at the back of her mind, I can't help but thinking that she would have had the prophecies from the Hebrew scriptures about the Messiah, the possible significance of that gift of myrrh from the Magi, which is essentially an embalming fluid. In the words of Simeon, when they took him to the temple to be circumcised, that a sword would pierce her own soul. Yet she and Joseph did not exhibit lives that were overcome by fear. Instead, they marvelled at what was said about Jesus. And I've always loved the fact, those phrases, that Mary treasured up and pondered all these things in her heart. In taking Mary's example, I'm continually needing to shift my perspective in my day-to-day worries back to God, confessing my fears, big and small, both to him and in the context of accountable relationships, my friendships through my prayer triplet and small group. Um, and my normal friends are extremely important in able to, being able to cope with this stage of life. And I also have to remember that neither Joseph nor Mary nor us are promised an easy ride. There wasn't necessarily going to be a happy ending But we are promised, they were promised, Emmanuel, God with us in all that happens. Real trust is a trust in a real God. It's not about the strength of our feeling or the passion with which we feel it. It's the object of our trust that gives us strength. Trusting God is not about believing that God will take you out of your circumstances, but that God is with you in those circumstances, whatever the outcome. And that is why Mary was able to say, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. One of the biggest things I've learned in this stage of life is that trust is a decision, not a feeling. And it's one that I have to keep on making as a discipline over and over and over again. Quite often when we meet people for the first time and explain the circumstances of this stage of our lives, people ask us, how do you cope? That's a very common question. Sometimes we're very honest and we say badly. Depends on how it's going that day. Sometimes we're more positive in our reply, but most of the time life is generally like that. Um, thinking about this stage in our lives in particular, there are two practical challenges that came to our minds. James is going to touch on the issue of parenting in a couple of minutes specifically, but the other is how we manage the competing priorities in a godly way. Time. 
Some people might call it work-life balance, although I find the phrase rather annoying. It suggests there's a point, this kind of ideal equilibrium that you can reach, and if you just do that, everything will be all right. It also implies that uh, everything can be neatly compartmentalised into our lives and that we can balance it all up on some scales. But it's just not true. Most people's lives are far more complex than that. It's not just made up of work, home, job, church. There are a number of pulls on our time and energy and emotions that can collide at any one time and have an effect on how we're feeling. Managing these competing interests is probably one of the things we struggle most to cope with at this stage of life, particularly because there's a lot of merit in the things that we do. Um, and of course, God is interested in and can be involved in and should be integral to all that we do do, whether it's job, family, church. There's an inevitable tension between the roles I'm called to play. Parent, spouse, professional, daughter, friend, community group leader, oh, and child of God, let's not forget that. Most of the time, I feel as if I fail at most of them. And I'm sure there's an element of needing to be gracious and kind to ourselves in the busyness of this stage of life. That's something I've had to wrestle with and accept about it. But I can't have it all. I do love this quote from Rob Parsons. The idea that you can have it all and do it is an illusion. A super mum or super dad is not out there. You can wear your underwear outside your trousers, but you still can't fly. <laughs> I think I'm going to have it embroidered and put up in the wall. <laughs> Ultimately, we have to choose where to use our time and energy. We need to hear God's voice above the clamour of all the others and make choices in line with God's will for our lives. There's a lot of tempting stuff out in the world. Lots of it is good and we could throw ourselves into it, but for us at this time, we have to ask, is it the right thing for us to do? That may well mean laying stuff down and saying no, and anyone who knows us knows that we're really rubbish at that. Um, and having done that, or not, as the case may be, it may also mean taking up new opportunities that come our way. We're faced with a lot of choices. We don't know an awful lot about the early stages of Jesus, Joseph and Mary's family life. We know from the Gospel accounts they certainly had other children. That would have been a pull on their time. They were forced to move. It must have been chaotic, backwards, forwards, here, there and everywhere. First to Egypt, possibly Israel, Nazareth. And of course we know that Joseph had a job to hold down. He had to provide for his family and he was a carpenter to do that. But we can see that Mary and Joseph still made choices. They made time to make choices about the way they lived their lives. God in his grace and mercy didn't just thrust this upon them. He did give them a choice and they accepted it, having listened to him and obeyed his word. As far as the Gospels indicate, they continued to make choices to live according to God's law and Jewish practices, and we're fairly sure that Mary made the choice to follow Jesus as a saviour later in life, as she was with the disciples at Pentecost and beyond. Most of us aren't, unfortunately, going to get quite such clear messages as Joseph and Mary. Angel visitations and dreams aren't fairly run-of-the-mill. And there are a lot of pulls on our time and attention, and I, life can seem so frenetic that I often struggle to make even the smallest amount of time for hearing from God. And for some, and for some of us, the decisions about what we do and what we don't do um, often feel tied by our circumstances. We can't just choose to cut down our work. We've got responsibilities that we need to fulfil. But we do still have a choice. Whatever our circumstances, and however little we have to, to, to carve out for God for hearing from him, in this stage of life, we may get to get a little creative or change the pattern for doing this. As James said, he used to read a lot. He can't do that now. But he'll sometimes take a day or half a day out and go on retreat to do that. That works for him. I'm more likely to grab 10 minutes on my train journey into work to, to read my Bible. And for me, technology is a bit of a bonus for that. And if I'm really desperate, I will lock myself in the loo for five minutes, quite frankly. <laughs> 
But spending the time listening for and hopefully hearing from God in the midst of the clamour is, or at least should be, a priority for us in this stage of life. It's only then that we can really test what is good and decide what God's priorities are for us. And we've always been encouraged by the freedom in this command that whatever we do, whatever balance our life has at any point in our time, work at it with all your heart, whether it's at home, at work, at church, as if working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. So, uh, as we come towards uh, the end of our talk, we want to think a little bit about parenting. Uh, it's a particular challenge of this current life stage for us. And you know, our life at home is often noisy, is often chaotic, uh, with constant demands for attention from our children. Um, having four children close in age, with three the same age, it has its joys, but it also has its frictions with fights and poor behaviour resulting from all wanting to play with exactly the same toy. Uh, bedtime is often particularly difficult as we attempt to persuade our children to stay in bed and go to sleep, um, and mealtimes can often be a challenge as well. For me, I have found the recent phase in our children's lives more demanding and stretching than the first years, which were more about providing physical care than the current refereeing and boundary setting. Um, I'm however thankful that we were both able to make the decision to work part-time uh, and work on the same day so that when we were at home, we are mostly parenting and doing the chores of life together. Uh, and that for us has really made it possible really to navigate this particular period of our lives. As we consider Mary and Joseph and their parenting, there are only a few glimpses of life in their household from the gospel narratives. We know that while the oldest, uh, Jesus was an, old, was an only child, uh, and uh, we also know that in the early years of Jesus' life, they moved around to escape the uh, dangers in Judea. They therefore faced the challenge of bringing up Jesus in a foreign culture, away from the family supports there would have been in Bethlehem, being Joseph's hometown. But perhaps the best indication of their family life is found in Luke's account of Jesus at the temple at the age of 12, recorded in Luke 2, 41 to 50, as you can see on the screen. And there are three aspects of this account that I just want to draw out. Firstly, they were a family who observed the Jewish law and traditions. Jesus was brought up being exposed to the values and ways of his family and of his family's faith. Just as for Joseph and Mary, an important aspect of our parenting is to bring uh, is to bring up our children in a way which exposes them to the values and practices of our faith. As someone who didn't grow up in a Christian family, an important and vital aspect of being a parent is through the way I care for my kids and live life in front of my family, that I am in introducing my children to the reality of Jesus so that one day they're able to make their own choice to follow him. Secondly, in verse 44, we were told that they travelled home from Jerusalem for a day before realising Jesus was not with them. Having realised he was missing, they began to looking for him among their relatives and friends. Now, we might infer that this shows Joseph and Mary to be careless parents. However, I would suggest uh, that this indicates that it was not abnormal for others, particularly their friends and relatives, to be involved in spending time with and caring for Jesus. For this is where they looked for Jesus first. While this in reflects, I think, in part the culture they were part of, uh, perhaps it is our culture with its focus on the nuclear family which is unusual. 
I would suggest that bringing up children, that parenting is not just the domain of parents. Certainly for us, we've been greatly helped in the last six years that we've been parents by the parenting of our children and of ourselves um, that we've experienced through many of our church family here at Riverside. As the African proverb says, it takes a, a village to bring up a child. I recall as a single man in my 20s being welcomed into a number of families' lives and homes here in church. Seeing family life at work, being invited, for example, to be present at bedtime as the Bible was read and prayers were, were said, has really provided a model which we've replicated in our own family life. As a result, I'm really passionate that we do family life in a way that's inclusive to others. There are times we and our children need space and privacy, but we want and choose to be generous in our hospitality as a family, willing to welcome others into the chaos and mess of our lives. Thirdly, uh, in verse 48, uh, we find that Jesus, his mother, said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. That Joseph and Mary were anxiously searching for Jesus demonstrates the normality of their parenting. For any of us who have ever, however briefly, lost a child, and we've done it, uh, we know that awful anxiety and longing to locate that child as swiftly and as safely as possible, and also the, the relief and the telling off that kid receives uh, when they're found. I find the normality of Joseph and Mary's parenting reassuring. As parents, we are human, we do get anxious, we are fallible. I think we seem in society to have an ideal of the family life and of parenting as promoted in parts of the media, which can feel over overwhelming, to be honest, and unachievable. Not all are yummy mummies who can recite the finer advice of Mumsnet. Not all of us manage to be super dads. I am, as I've said, thankful that we've been able to make the decision to work part-time, working on the same days, so that when we're at home... Oh, no, reading the wrong bit. <laughs> so we found that, really, that being honest about the struggles of parenting keeps the anxieties, frustrations and fallibility in a place where we can be accountable and seek prayer and support. Just being honest about it is really important. I think it's, uh, sometimes people view us and tell us, you know, you're doing so well, it looks so good, and we think, actually, if only you could sit around the table with us at dinner time, you wouldn't think quite the same thing. But being honest about where we're at is really important, because by being honest, we can go to, we can seek support and we get help in prayer. And certainly for us, our life group has been a really vital place for, tho for those conversations. Uh, so, in summary, as we come to a close. We were asked what f impact our faith has on this stage of our lives. So what are we continually learning about God at this stage? Well, we're learning that we need to accept the season to which he's called us and to seek out the opportunities that it presents rather than resent its challenges. We've learned and are learning that trusting him with all that he has entrusted to us is a discipline that we must repeatedly put into practice. We've learned that we can only get our priorities right when we prioritise hearing from God and that we can best parent our children when we live according to his pattern, um, certainly within community. So Psalm uh, 62 verse 8 says, Trust in him at all times, O peoples. Pour out your hearts to him, 
for God is our refuge. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that whatever stage of life we're in, that we can trust you in it. That whether we are thriving and loving where we are right now, or if we're honest, there's a sense of struggle and a sense of loss and a sense of mourning for where we we were. Lord, wherever we're at, we want to put our trust in you. Not because we feel strong about that, not because we... We may only feel we've got a teeny, teeny bit of trust, but actually it's because you are this amazing God who we can trust. You are good. And so we choose. We choose to trust you in the circumstances that we have. And as we do that, we choose to try and walk with others and with you and to try and do life your way. Help us to know afresh that we can pour out our heart to you and that you really are our refuge. Amen.